I have a good friend who loves the word balance. I, for years, have told him balance is overrated. Um, so I had to repent this entire weekend. He said that he was going to come to all three services just so that he could hear me say that. So I repent. Balance is really a good thing. Why? Because if you don't have balance, and the scripture tells us this, there's some bad things that can happen. If you have a church that is just strong on exhortation but has no mercy, it's just going to be a harsh place to live. If you have a, a church that's just goes all out on mercy but has no exhortation, they're going to be indulgent to every sin known to mankind. We're just going to be hugging each other. There's a balance in that we often see uh, in Scripture when the Scripture says, we want you to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. Now, we know what to be gentle looks like. It's kind and it's, it's soft. It's, it's like a grandma or grandpa on his good days. And, and, and on the other hand, he says, I want you to be wise. I want you to be wise like a serpent. I want you, not cunning, but I, I want you to be thoughtful. I, I want you to, to perceive things and I want you to penetrate deeply. If you, if you have one or the other, if you're just soft, well, you're just soft. It's kind of like, you know, living in jello. Like, bleh. But if, you're, if you have wisdom, if you, if you penetrate deeply and you put those two together, it's like the wounds of a friend that prove to be faithful, the scripture says. Another one that I think is a balance, and, and we need, it's this balance between grace and justice. We love grace. By grace, we're saved. Apart from grace, none of us would be here today. It is through the grace of God that we are saved. It is the grace of God. What does it mean? That unmerited favor, that willingness of God to love us, to meet us right where we're at, all messed up and broken and to love us anyhow. That's grace. But have you thought about, as Pastor Jeff led us this morning, have you thought that the only way we have grace is because of justice? You see, the scripture says, for God so loved the world. Yes, he did. He loved the world. But actually, what, if you will, forced his hand. It was his love, but it was his justice. It was his willingness to hold the standard of holiness and say, sin has separated you. And the only way I can be gracious to you is if I take out, if you will, my justice on my son. Justice is in us. We love it. Hollywood knows that. Wisely so. They have, they have given us movie after movie celebrating justice. And, you know, in you, I love it. I, I love to see Denzel Washington get the wicked guy. I mean, John Wick does a little too much. Over the top. Not balanced in his death. But we love it. Parents, they're committed to it. Every good parent I know teaches their child. If you go to school, you do well in school, you keep playing that piano and this will be the result. We say, what you sow, you're going to reap. And if you sow discipline, if you sow school, if you sow you know, music, if you, whatever, if you sow this, you're going to reap something good. That's justice. That's equity. That's if you do something good, you will benefit. That's what Asaph is saying in this psalm, Psalm 73. 
He says, surely God is good to Israel. I believe that. To those who are pure in heart. That's justice. If you reap purity, you're going to, if you sow purity, you're going to reap what? The goodness of God. And the inference is, if you sow impurity, you're going to reap what? The blessing of God being pulled away. Every parent I know, no parent, not a parent worth their salt tells their kid, you know what, when you go to school, mess around. Don't finish the assignments. When that teacher says, hand it in on time, <laughs> blow her off. And by the time when you graduate, you're going to have life by the tail. That parent should be fired. They should have their kids taken away from them. Why? Because no parent does that. Because we love justice. We love the law of equity that says you get out of life what you sow. If you sow good things, you reap good things. But here's the problem. We deeply, deeply are moved by justice. And we are as deeply troubled when we don't see it. And when you read the newspaper and you get online and you watch the news, every day, right now, you're seeing injustice having a heyday. And you're seeing people get away with murder and not held accountable. You're seeing individuals charge young families and drop their children 20 feet over a wall and go home to a palace and nothing happens. That's the world that Asaph saw. And when he looked at that world, he realized that as much as he loves justice and what he said is so true, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Yes, Lord, I check it off. That's, I believe that. But here's the problem, God. Every morning, I have to listen to the news. And every morning, I realize that sometimes life does not look so just. It doesn't look just at all. And you put this in me. You, you put this longing in me, this love in me for justice. In fact, God, it cost you your son you are so committed to justice. Why would you then make me every day have to watch this world that mocks justice? He says in verse 2, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I'd nearly lost my foothold. Who was Asaph? He was a choir director. He was a churchman. He was a pastor. Let me put real words to this. But as for me, frankly, Lord, I was fed up with the world that you created. I think you lied to me. I don't think you're being honest. I don't think the bad guys get it. In fact, I think the bad guys have all the fun. And if you want my honest opinion, Lord... And I'll give you a few pieces of evidence. 
I go down to the border and I see people who are destroying people's lives, dropping them off, charging them thousands of dollars, and they're not having a thing happen to them. They don't care at all. They feed fentanyl into this country and they celebrate every death and they don't give a rip. And you know what? They're living like kings. And frankly, Lord, it's time somebody stands up to you. This this justice that God puts in our heart, when we see it, oh, we celebrate. But when we don't see it, it crushes us. He was collapsing. He was getting ready to quit. His resignation letter was written. Lord, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free. Free from worry. Pride is their necklace. And you want to tell me, Lord, that people will reap what they sow? Well, then why don't you show it to me? Because I don't see it. What I see is godly parents or godly couples really, really love the Lord and they can't have children. Then I see other people who take every drug known to mankind and they walk by a guy and they get married or get pregnant. And and Lord, I, I, I don't understand. I'm just telling you, God, it doesn't make sense to me. And then he describes them. He says, Lord, they are individuals with calluses on their hearts. Verse seven, from their callous hearts comes iniquity. Calluses are those things that can grow in your hands. And they disclose to other people. They don't even have to know what you, you do, but they can just feel your hand and they know, man, this, this, this person doesn't work in an office. I had a good friend I went to seminary with and he uh, wanted to go uh, downtown in Denver and, and kind of discover what it was like to be homeless. And um, he, so he went to Target and bought some really nasty clothes. And... Um, Thank you. One person got my bad joke. Appreciate whoever you are. Um, He dressed up and he went downtown. I don't think he made, Pete made it to like 10 or 11 o'clock. And somebody came up to him and they grabbed his hand and they just began to rub his hand. And this guy looks Pete in the eye and he goes, you don't live on the street. Go home. Pete says, excuse me? He says, I can tell by your hands, you don't live on the street, go home. He was exposed by his hands because he didn't have the calluses. He didn't have the weathered hands. He didn't have the, the, the rough fingers of individuals who live every night on the street, who wake up not on a bed, but on a sidewalk. If you take Nate's hand, is you feel it, you can tell he's a guitar player because he's got calluses. I mean, to be honest with you, you could stick a pin through that guy's fingers and he's not gonna feel it. Why? Because he plays guitar all the time. And he, if, if I played for 30 minutes like he plays for three hours, I'd be bleeding because I, I have little sissy hands. <laughs> and I don't have any calluses there on the end. He does. And what the, 
writer Asaph is saying they have calloused hearts, meaning what? They don't feel anything. They have calloused hearts and they are no longer burdened by conscience. In other words, when they drop a five-year-old little girl off of a 20-foot wall and she breaks her leg, they don't go home and go, oh gosh, I'm such a horrible person. When they go home to their manufacturing company that is creating enough fentanyl to kill the United States and they send it into the country and they hear that 100,000 people this year died in the United States because of overdose of fentanyl, they don't sit at home and go, you know what, we really probably shouldn't bake this stuff. They live in palaces. And when Asaph was walking along the street, he saw what I did when I went to Bangkok and I was walking along with my friend Roger and we would see person after person, these 50 and 60 year old Anglo men walking with these 12 and 13, maybe even 10 year old Thai girls. And you know, just by looking at them, that's not her grandfather. And that guy doesn't think to himself, man, I am taking this young woman's virginity. I'm going to destroy her life. I'm going to give her some money and I'm going to get another one tomorrow night. They have no conscience. And Asaph looked at that and said, I, I can't take this, God. If you don't do something, I'm going to lose my mind or I'm going to walk out on you. My foot almost slipped, he said. I nearly lost my foothold. I literally lost my mind. You gave me a love for justice. And it seems to me, God, like it doesn't matter to you. Not only do we not see justice in this world, but sometimes we question the possibility of justice. Is it really possible? When he was talking about these wicked individuals, he he was noting that they um, act as if God can't see anything. Like God has no power. Like he, it seems like God doesn't care. And he begins to wonder, is justice even really possible? Is it possible, God, that at the end of the day, what they're saying is really true about you? That when you look at that little 13-year-old girl in, in, in Bangkok, you actually look at her and you say, oh, well, she's just a little Thai girl. There'll be others. Is it possible, God, you look at that little five-year-old girl that got dropped and broke her leg and and separated from her mom and dad, and forever she's going to wonder who her mom and dad is? God, is it really possible that you look at that individual, that little girl, and you think, oh, well, she might get a good job someday. Is that possible? Is it possible, God, that not only you don't care, but maybe you're impotent enough that you can't do anything about it? Is that possible? On the flip side of that, sometimes we question the possibility of justice because when we read the scriptures, what the scripture tells us is that, God, when you bring discipline, where does he start? 
Where does our loving God start when he brings discipline? To you, to me, to the household of God. And maybe what we don't like to hear is what Pastor Jeff said. That Jesus' invitation to us was, I want you to take up my cross. And I want you to throw it on your back and I want you to walk. And maybe we, we, we love the words on grace and I do too. But maybe I don't really allow the words of Jesus when he said, in this world you're going to have trouble. You know what trouble, you know what, how I define that sometimes? Trouble is... I'm crossing over the bridge trying to go home and I have a flat tire. That's a bad day. Or I get up in the morning and I try and start my truck and and it won't start. And I got a fuel pump that went out. Oh man, I got to rearrange my day. How horrible. That's trouble. But I think Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. And he meant that. I was listening this week to a a woman tell me about a a gentleman who served five years in prison for a crime he never did, didn't didn't touch the thing. And honestly, five years in prison for something I didn't do, that, that would mess with my head. That's trouble. And sometimes I look at this and I say, God, I want justice, but I want justice out there. I really don't want it here. And we question the possibility of justice as to whether or not we even want it. Asaph was losing his mind. He, he says, this was all oppressive to me. In fact, I was, I was so oppressed and discouraged. I didn't even want to go to work anymore. I didn't want to lead the choir one more day. I didn't want to lead one more worship song. I was fed up with God, the people of God, with worship, all of it. I was envious. I was envious of people like Lady Gaga, who well, she was raised in, in, in a family that, that honored God and, and she went to a Catholic school. But if you ever watch her, especially on those shows where she can speak, everything of righteousness she mocks and everything of licentiousness and wickedness she celebrates. And Cindy Lauper says, girls just want to have fun. And, and, and that fun is usually not by honoring Christ. It's, it's a fun where they just kind of throw off all mor- morals and, and just go out and, and live a, a sexually kind of, you know, loose life. Yeah, they just want to have fun. And, and it's fine, Lord. But the reality is what I want is when Lady Gaga is on the stage and she's mocking you, I would appreciate a bolt of lightning. If you could just give me one, I think I could live with the rest of those idiots. But I don't get it. You don't give it to me. And because of that, justice seems really painful to hold in my heart. And there doesn't feel like there's a lot of hope. He turns a corner in verse 15, and I want to take this corner with him. If I had said this, that God really doesn't care. If I would have spoken this, that the rebels really do get all the fun and they bear no consequence. If I would have actually spoken this, God, I would have betrayed your children. 
But Lord, when I tried to understand all of this, it was oppressive to me. Until, verse 17, I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Now understand, you should note this. He goes to the sanctuary every day. The guy's a choir director. It would be like one of the pastoral staff going, hey, you know, I I went to church today. Of course you do. You go there every day. That's your job. That was his job. So what's different here? What's happening in this man's life that kept him from falling off the edge, that allowed him to listen to the news and not lose his mind? He says, when I went into the sanctuary, he said what? I looked at their final destiny and I understood God's perspective. You see, we gain hope when we gain perspective by seeing life from God's point of view. If all you do is stay on this earth, if all you do is stay in this time zone, is all you do is stay in this life, you're gonna lose your mind with the fact that rebels often live a really luxurious life. If all you do is look, but if you will take yourself to God's perspective, what's God's perspective? The final destiny, the moment where they stand before Christ, that moment where they enter into heaven and they have this confrontation with God and all of their life is thrown up in front of them and the question of what did you do with Jesus is offered to them like it will be offered to you. If you go to the final perspective, if you go from God's perspective, does he care about justice? Yes. Go to this cross that we just celebrated and ask God, do you care about justice? Does wickedness matter to you? Yes, it does. Because all of the wrath of God, the scripture says, was poured into and onto his son. God made him who had no sin to become sin. Oh, but something else is really important to see. We gain hope when we gain perspective in worship where we see God for who he is. See, one of the great dangers for you who are long-term Christians, a huge danger for those of us who work in the house of God, is that we focus on the service of God more than we do on the worship of God. It's very easy to get all concerned with, do we have the right flow? Do we have the right time? Are our transitions all ready? Who's gonna be leading communion? Is that person queued up? Are they all informed? And and we do that every week. And, And I'm not suggesting for a moment we shouldn't do that. There's no honor in a sloppy worship service. But there is a huge danger. Because you can get really professionally good at leading services, at doing funerals, at performing weddings, and not be a worshiper of God. That was Asaph. What became centered to Asaph's life was not his adoration of the glory of God, but his profound commitment to efficient services. 
It is the worship of God, one person says, not the service of God that must be at the center of our vision. The center of our lives, lest we slip to our sorrow and to the betrayal of those that we lead. Asaph almost walked out on God. Why? Because he was great at leading the choir. He was horrible at worshiping God. He was marvelous in his set of musical skills. What he wasn't was aware of the profound glory of God. We gain perspective when we see God's glory. Verse 24, you guide me with your counsel and afterward you take me into glory. What do I see when I go into that glory? Two things. Number one, the end of the wicked. I see their final destiny. It's given to us in verses 18, 19, and 20. He says in verse 18, surely you place them on a slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. As a dream when one awakes. So when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. I had a picture of that one night. Very infrequently, I have these weird um, allergic reactions to things. Um, I typically end up in the hospital. And um, uh, one time this guy came to our house and I, I was having one of these reactions. And the guy says, um, is your husband on cocaine? And, uh, and my wife said, he's a pastor. I don't care. Is he on cocaine? And I was like, man, what kind of pastor is you hanging around, dude? One, one time I had a reaction to something and I ended up in the hospital. And I remember this doctor telling me this. He said, your husband is, is going to have his skin crawl off of him. I, we're going to inject him with this stuff. We're going to strap him down. And he is going to have a trip through hell. Well, Carrie, she booked it out of there because they told her to. Said, please leave. You don't want to watch this. I didn't want to watch it. I was living it. And sure enough, whatever they put in me, and you medical folks, please don't come up and ask me what was it. I couldn't tell you. When you have that kind of experience, you don't want to know what that garbage is. And my skin began to just crawl off. And I was losing my mind. My friend, when the wicked stand before Christ, that's what's going to happen to them. They're going to be filled with terror. And those guys that have ruined those little 13-year-old girls, they're going to stand before Christ. And he's going to remind them and he's going to tell them, did you ever get her name? I know her. And Christ is going to stand before those drug lords and he's going to ask, do you remember the little five-year-old girl that you dropped? I know her. And they're going to look into the eyes of Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, the scripture says they are going to melt in terror. If you watch the news and you have not made your way into the final destiny of people's lives, you're going to lose your mind. But if you allow yourself to go to that place to stand there, you might actually have pity. As I was talking with an individual recently recently, 
And he was describing the success of his life and his goals. And I thought to myself, I hope somewhere, metaphorically, your life hits the ditch. Because if it doesn't, you're going to never, ever reach out to God. Your success might be the worst thing that ever happened to you. You can always trust in the coming day. Why? Because it is there you see the glory of God where he will bring to ruin and they will cry out to him, I am so sorry, give me another chance. And he's going to say to them, I gave you all the chances I was going to give you. And they're going to rehearse through the Sunday school class at the day that they were eight years of age. And that young lady told them about Christ. And they're going to say, I thought it was all a joke. And they're going to go back in their mind at the times that their grandmother pleaded with them to come to church with them. And they're going to think, I didn't have time for church. And their hearts are going to melt. And every one of them that has rejected Christ, that is destroyed, remember Jesus is the one who said, when you cause one of my little ones to stumble, you are better off putting a millstone around your neck and going out into the middle of the Atlantic and jumping in. And if you can't take yourself to that place, then the news of today is going to drive you crazy. Because Lopper is right, girls just want to have fun and there's a lot of rebels that are having a ton of fun and Lady Gaga is right as she mocks the church and she gets away with it and she lives in her palatial mountain mansions and the fact is, is, is those terrorists who are destroying young kids in our country with this fentanyl and, and they live in these palatial mountains and they bask in the sun and they take extravagant vacations but one day they're going to stand before God naked as you can be and there will be no defense but it's not just them we gain perspective when we see the glory of God in the relationship of the wicked but also in the relationship of the faithful verse 24 you guide me with your counsel and afterwards you will take me into glory. Years ago, I started a practice. I don't know why I started it, but I do it. Every time somebody in our church dies, I take a journey with them. When Marcel died a couple of days ago, I imagined her first moments in heaven. I don't know if it's true, but I, I kind of think that Jesus informed Jack, her husband of over 70 years, or 65, I think. And I can only imagine that Jesus said, hey, Jack, I'm bringing Marcel home. Now, I know they're not supposed to be married in heaven, but I bet they're best friends. And I bet, personally, I don't know what it's like to enter into heaven. I've got my own concoction. But the idea that, that, that Jesus would say, hey, Jack, I'm bringing Marcel home. Do you want to be there with me? And I guarantee you, Jack said, yes. Jesus, I got one request. Can I hug her before you do? 
And when Marcille made her way into heaven, like Bill Jendrasic, like uh, Michelle did, uh, uh, and, and as they stand before Christ and they look up and there won't be one ounce of terror in their bones. They will simply look into his eyes and they will say, I think I will say, I made it, I made it, you, you did it, hallelujah, it's all real. There won't be any fear. There won't be any regret. There will simply be worship. The problem of the wicked having fun is something that you have to deal with every day. I do too. But here's the answer to that problem. Death. Death brings the fun to an end. But for the one who has God, the best is yet to come. Thirty-eight years of pastoring, I bet I've taken that journey with about 400 people. And to my knowledge, not one of them, as I imagined them in heaven before Christ, ever said to Jesus, you know what, this is really kind of a downer up here. Would you send me back to earth? No, they beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. If you want to have hope after you watch the news, take yourself to the final destiny of all people. If you're troubled by Lady Gaga, take yourself to the final destiny. If you're envious of a 35-year-old who uh, is going to be independently wealthy by 50, and you wish that you could have that life, take yourself to their final destiny. And you won't be envious. You'll start praying, oh God, may they find their life in a ditch, not dead, but would you shake up the equilibrium of their life to the point that they reach out to you? Because to be rich in this world only and to be poor when you stand before Christ, that's forever. To be rich in this world through wickedness and to stand before Christ and to be filled with terror you won't be envious of them. You'll pity them because you've seen life from God's perspective.